that if he's not? If the Lord is not risen from the dead, then our, our gospel's in vain. All of our preaching, teaching, way of life, everything we do, it's a waste of time if the Lord is not alive. But if he is, if Jesus is alive today, then we have hope in heaven. We have hope in eternal life. We have something to look forward to that this world cannot compare to. If Jesus is alive, then I've got hope in him because one day I was baptized in the name of Jesus. And every time I pray, I, I pray in the name of Jesus. I put all that I've got in Jesus. I faith everything on it. I bet the house on it. You missed the apple cider. He's alive. This is nasty. And I'm so thankful that he is alive. Praise God. So thankful that you're here this morning. Thankful that you're alive too. Everybody came to the house of God and lied to worship the Lord. Amen. Just glad to have you in the house of God today. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you'd like to go with me, the book of 2 Kings, chapter 20. Second Kings chapter 20, and I'll kind of be there a good bit this morning, so we'll just keep your Bible open to that spot and save you a little bit of time. Second Kings chapter 20, beginning in verse 16. Bible says, And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And if that were not bad enough, and of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. At least as far as this life goes, I really don't know how you get a worse promise. That everything you've got and everything that your fathers have ever laid up, every last penny is going to be carried away. Sitting in somebody else's bank account. No top of that, Hezekiah. All the sons that you've got, they're going to be carried away too. They'll all be eunuchs in another man's house. So it is rather peculiar, the response that comes from the man that's received this message. Verse 19 says, Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? We'll sit here on this just a little bit this morning. Because the man that had been given 
bad a sentence as a man can be given. He says, is it not good if peace and truth be in my place? I'm going to preach to you for just a little bit this morning on peacetime preparation. Peacetime preparation. Would you lift up your hands and voices and worship God with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. Oh Lord, you're so holy. You're so righteous. You are such a good God. Lord, we thank you for your presence that is here. But Lord, we ask you to completely fill this house with your glory. God, let this whole place, let every soul be filled with the power of your spirit. God, we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for God's word. On, on the surface, and, and I guess it goes beyond the surface in all honesty, but the words that King Hezekiah says, they are true. Because of, no matter what it is that God says, we know that it is it is good. Because God is good all the time. It's already been testified up this morning. Everything that God has for us is good. Everything works together for the good for those that love God and those that are the called according to His purpose. God knows what He's doing even when we don't think He does. Even when our people hit limited human minds at times, it don't add up and it doesn't make any sense to us. God knows exactly what He is doing. And God has a purpose behind every word that He speaks. But, but it's interesting how this king responds to this particular message because he's just been told that, that everything that he's got, everything that's ever been stored up is going to be carried away and all of his sons, all of his heritage, everything that he leaves behind, well, they're going to be carried away too. So let's go back to the beginning of the story. We go back to the first verse of that chapter. Make sure you get the context around what's going on. We find in verse 1, it says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. The prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. But this is what he did. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass, and it came to pass before Isaiah was gone out of the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again. He said, Go back. Tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I've heard thy prayer, I've seen thy tears, behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. 
So the king's days were numbered just like our days are numbered. And God was kind and God was merciful to him. To, he, he had been a good king. He had done a lot of good things. They're well testified of in scripture. But, but the Lord had spoke to the prophet and told him, you go and tell the king that is now sick. He said, go tell him to get your house in order because he's going to die. I mean, I think all of us would, would wish the mercy of God upon us that at the end of our days, the Lord would give us warning. Go on and get everything in order that we would not be caught off guard by death. That we would not be caught off guard by the calling the way of the church. I don't know anybody that would want to, you know, the advance notice that the Lord would say, hey, you need to go on and get things wrapped up because you're about to head out of here. That's exactly what he got. It's exactly what the Lord gave him. That get your house in order because you're not going to recover from this disease. You're going to die. And so that king, his response to that was prayer. His response was, was seeking the Lord. His response was crying out to God, God, would you remember the good that I've done? Lord, would you remember the life that I've lived? Would you remember all the things that, 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 that I've done in your kingdom for your glory? Would you spare me and give me more time? The Lord heard. The Lord answered. Sent the prophet right back in there before he even got, got outside the city limits. He said, go back in and tell Hezekiah, I've heard his prayer and I'm going to heal him of this sickness and I'm going to give him 15 more years. And not only am I going to give him 15 more years, but I'm going to defend this city. I'm going to stand up for this city and the king of Assyria that at that time was the, the power to be reckoned with, the king of Assyria that everybody was afraid of, he said, he's not coming up in here. I'm going to defend this city the rest of your days. God gave Hezekiah 15 years of peace. 15 years of victory. 15 years of he got to keep his money in the bank. 15 years of he got to keep his sons in the house. 15 years of his family being well and everything being good and the politics going in the right direction and everything is going to be all right. 15 years of it. So how would he spend it? What do you do with that? If God came to you and, and told you to get your house in order, you're going to die, and, and then you pray, God, I just I just don't feel like I'm ready to move on yet. God, there's still unfinished business that I want to take care of. There's things that I want to do. I, I want to see my, my children grow up. I want to see my grandchildren grow up. I, I want to accomplish this and that. Now, now, we understand we're living in New Testament days. I just think you're about crazy. If you want to keep on living down here, if the Lord says, I'll put your ticket to heaven if you want to come. Because I love you folks, but if he offers me heaven, I'm going. Because if he offers you heaven, you're going. But nonetheless, God heard his prayer, gave him 15 years of peace. How did he spend it? What did he do with that time? What did he pour himself into? Because if God had given you that time, if God had extended your lifetime and you knew it, he 
Not only was he told and given fair warning of his death the first time, but, but the Lord told him how much longer, which means I know when I'm going to die later. We can do math, folks. We can buy calendars. If the Lord says you've got exactly 10 years, whatever it is you want to accomplish, better fit into 10 years. So what did he do? Did he spend his time? Verse 12 says, And at that time, Herodot Baladon, which is probably not how to pronounce it, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Hezekiah hearkened unto them and showed them all the house of his precious things, silver and the gold, the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Now, I understand the Lord had given him a promise, I'm going to defend the city and, and the king of Assyria is not going to come and take it. And I understand that the king of Assyria is the one that he was particularly worried about at this time. But nonetheless, the king of Babylon sends word, hey, I heard that you were sick, Hezekiah, so I've sent some folks to give you a present and tell you that we're thinking about you and hope that you get the feeling better and and of course, Hezekiah, for whatever reason, I guess gets impressed by this, and he wants to impress them. Who knows? But all of a sudden, he just decides to give them the grand tour of the city. Let's put this in modern context. This would be like the United States worrying to death about China, and God says, I'm going to make sure that China's not going to do you any harm for the next 25 years. So the way in which we celebrate is to invite Vladimir Putin in. And give him the grand tour and the combination before Knox. We just want to make sure you know. Here's the Google Maps version. Here's exactly how you get here. You know, really the easiest way to get here would be to come up the coast and just pop drop your boat there. And that, that's about what this is like. So he's got this, this promise. He only knows how much time he's got left. And, and he's got this promise that God's going to protect him from that. He's got this assurance of peacetime. He's got this assurance that everything is going to be all right. And so he just starts acting the fool. Then came Isaiah the prophet unto King Hezekiah. Mm. Said unto him, What said these men? From whence came they unto thee? Hezekiah said, They are come from a far country, even from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in thine house? You ever, folks, I understand you've got close family and friends. You ever have folks come over to your house for the very first time and, and you hardly know them at all? And you take them to the back of your bedroom and say, I just want to show you where my gun cabinet's at. You know, I don't have a whole lot of money, but what cash money I do keep, I keep it right here under the mattress. Isaiah said, what did these men say to you? What, who, who are they? Where did they come from? And what have they seen in thine house? And Hezekiah answered, all the things that are in thine house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. 
Behold, the days come. That all that's in thy house, that which thy father's laid up in store to this day, shall be carried unto Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord, and of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which thou hast spoken. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth be in my days? That's the context of that statement. Hezekiah, I mean, I don't know how much you study scripture, but but a lot of times he, he could probably see the countenance of the prophet's face change a little bit, and then all of a sudden he says, hear the word of the Lord. And there's sometimes you see your mama's face and you know that what's coming out ain't nice. You know you're in trouble. You know you did something wrong. You know the tone of voice that just came from her, from your daddy, or whoever it might be, and you understand that the sentence is about to be passed. You understand that the punishment is about to be doled out. Hezekiah is no idiot. I mean, he certainly kind of looked like one there for a couple verses, but, but he knows something's coming. And then what comes, of course, is not good. One might expect, if you were Hezekiah, that all this stuff is going to come just, just around the corner. God's passed the judgment, and it's coming down today. And yet he finds out it's not going to be now. It's going to be later. For now, Hezekiah, you're still going to live in that peace. For now, you're still going to live in that place of comfort today. For now, the enemy is still going to stay off on the horizon. They're not rolling into town today. But now we also notice there's a day coming when everything is going to change. He knows that there's a day coming that there's going to be a fight. Now, I understand that defeat has already been pronounced on them by God. I understand that there's no man, there's no force, there's no adversary that can undo the word of God. God has already said that he's going to be defeated. But if you knew that the day was going to come when your kingdom was going to be brought to the ground and your bank accounts were going to be empty and your dear sons were going to be hauled off into the enemy's land, what might you spend the rest of your days doing? Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of his life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Amen. We're living in a day, there's, there's, there's a category of folks in the world that are called preppers. I don't know whether you're one or not, that's your business, but, but that's what they're called. And they're called that because they believe in being prepared. They believe that things aren't going to get better, they're going to get worse. And they want to make sure that when things get worse, they are prepared. And so people that fall into this category, have they probably have more food in their freezer than you've got. And they probably have more stuff stored away in their cabinets than what most of us probably have. And, and they've got some things prepared. They've got some things set back. They might even have some kind of shelter hidden out somewhere because they're, they're, they, they want to be ready. That when everything goes bad and everything goes wrong, they can escape. They can survive. They can continue for some period of time because they think that a worse 
The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and said, if you're going to go fight, if you're going to go sign up and enlist or get commissioned and go off to fight a war, and from that point forward, you can't be concerned about all the same things you used to be concerned about. You can't get all tied down in all the things that really don't matter because you've got to go off and fight. You've got to go off and prepare yourself for what is coming. Now, I understand Hezekiah's days were numbered, and I understand that he couldn't undo the foolish mistakes that he had made, but he had sons in his house that one day were going to be carried off, made to work for a wicked king. What might you spend your time teaching them? If you knew that your sons were going to have to fight the fight of their lifetime. If you knew that they were going to be uprooted out of the land that they always lived in and around all the people of God that they'd always been around and they were going to be hauled off to a culture that was de determined and set against everything they fought, everything they felt, everything they believed, and every way they worshipped the one true God. What might you spend your time doing? Church, we're living in a day today where we are dealing with things we thought we'd never deal with and seeing things we thought we'd never seen. And the Bible prophesies and said the evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. It's not going to get better. And yet there are those that are sitting back in the easy chair of life just with their eyes closed and their ears plugged as if somehow it's all going to be all right. It might be all right for you for a little bit. Maybe you've gotten to the age where you know you've only got so many days left. So if you can just make it through these next little while, everything's going to be all right. But who's coming up behind you? If the Lord tarries another 10 years or another 20 years, what kind of church is going to be in Forsyth, Georgia? Is it going to be a church that's prepared for the onslaught of hell? Are your children going to be ready to have what they believe challenged on every hand? Or am I just going to be concerned that, hey, I'm going to die before it all gets that bad. Most everybody in here has had jobs either now or in the past. You probably encountered some folks. I've encountered a lot of them. Encountered some folks that have this mindset. Well, you know, that, that is a problem. That'll get fixed after I'm gone. I've worked like that. We call them short times. <laughs> they can tell you to the day how many days they got left before they get to retirement. And they're not upset in the apple cart. They're not going to go down in flames on their principles with their boss. It don't matter that's a big old problem. I ain't fixing it because if I stir up the wrong hornet's nest, I might get stung. And, and I'm just about out of here. So what am I going to do? What do those short-timers do? They do what's called coasting. I'm doing just enough to stay employed. I'm doing just enough not to get myself hurt. I'm doing just enough not to get myself fired. Why? Because all they're 
concerned about is having peace in their days. Church, I'm not promised tomorrow. God's not promised me 15 years. And I've got a wife and a son and two daughters that if I die of a stroke or a heart attack in the middle of the night, they're going to have to face this world that we're living in. If the Lord keeps on tearing his coming, things are going to get worse and worse. And we can't be caught with the mentality that, hey, everything's all right today. Or, you know, he gets too bad a rap. It's not as if he didn't do anything. It's not as if King just, you know, lived off the club bed the rest of his life. Verse 20, and the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might, and how he made a pool and a conduit and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? He, he had a river rerouted. Underground. So the water could feed the city so that when the enemy showed up, they wouldn't be able to dehydrate them out. They'd have water. They'd be able to survive siege for, for longer than anybody else would be able to because they'd have a clean, protected water supply. It's great stuff. But something else happened too. Clock eventually hit midnight. Hezekiah slept with his fathers. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. The proof's always in the pudding. If I want to know what kind of person you live to be at home, if I want to know what kind of things you allow and disallow, at home, I need only look farther than the heritage of the Lord living with me. Well, I'm not saying our kids do everything we tell them to do, and I'm not saying they don't make their own choice to serve God or not to, because that is true. They have to be. And I know sometimes there are those that choose to go another way. But we'll find in the very next chapter, chapter 21, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. I know that sounds awful young, and it is, but uh, their 12-year-olds weren't quite like that. He reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hepzibah. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. After the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which Hezekiah and his father had destroyed, and he reared up altars for Baal and made a grove as did Ahab, king of Israel, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord, and he made his son pass through the fire. Observed times, used enchantments, dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image of the grove that he had made in the house, in which the Lord said to David and Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all tribes of Israel, I put my name forever. 
neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they will observe to do all that I've commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they hearkened not. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. Not only did he just mess up and do badly, but he caused Israel to do more wickedly than even all the wicked peoples that God had cast out of the land of Canaan. Now, now don't get me wrong. You can read throughout Scripture of the great things that King Hezekiah did. King Hezekiah put his faith in God. When the enemy showed up on the horizon, King Hezekiah went to the, went to the house of God. He said, Lord, here, here's the sentence. Here's the, the taunts of the enemy. Lord, you hear them. Profane your name. God, I, I hope is in you. God delivered. He, he made the river. He had the, that, that building project done so that God's people could be protected against the seas. There's a lot of good things written down about Hezekiah. How did things turn out the way that they did? What effect does not having to fight have on you? What effect does having plenty of money in the bank? The grass is already cut. The roof is already patched. And the car is running smooth. What does it do to us? History records, even if you don't want to be spiritual, read it in the Bible. History records what happens to nations that don't ever have to fight. At some point, after enough time passes without there being a threat of some kind, they, they rest on their laurels. That's where the phrase came from. <clears throat> Julius Caesar, when he marched victoriously into Rome, had a laurel wreath around his head. He was a great conqueror, but a whole lot of years in sitting in Rome with a conquered empire, things went south. Those laurels were nothing but <coughs> symbolic. Nobody had been victorious over it. What happens to us when we don't have to fight? There's things that don't get paid attention to. There's things that get let go. There's things that get dropped down. You don't believe me? Just let me let just you just go to the doctor tomorrow and get a terminal diagnosis. You just get the phone call this afternoon that one of your babies or one of your grandbabies is dying. And all of a sudden, that, 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 that you couldn't find enough time to get any prayer time in yesterday, or you couldn't find any time to get closer to God last week, and, and all, and before your job and everything else seemed to get in the way. You let tragedy, you let the enemy show up on the horizon, and I bet you remember how to pray. I bet you remember how to seek God. I bet there should be some fervency that shows up in that prayer that might have been lacking for a while. Why? Because the enemy's on the horizon. But as long as the horizon's clear, and as long as the enemy stays away,
just sat around in those days and didn't worry about the enemy that he already knew was coming. If he knew that the day was going to come and he knew how many days it was that that boy Manasseh was going to have to take the throne and he was going to have to lead a nation that was going to have to deal with Babylon, why would he not sit down and say, listen to me, son, you've got to follow my words. You've got to do the things that I've told you. There's no hope out there. Your only hope is in God. Your only hope is in the God of Israel. Maybe he did he failed. I don't know. But I know enough about human nature to know that when you don't have to fight for anything, you sit back and you let everything go. Proverbs 30 and 24 says, There be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The writer says, Here's something that's really, truly wise in the earth. Guess what? We don't make the list. The ants. Yeah, this is Georgia. We hate it. The ants are a people not strong. Yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Man. I know most of us are farmers by trade. I know most of you grow something somewhere along the line. But, but when you're a farmer and there's not credit, which there used to be a day when that was true. If the crops don't come in, somebody's dying. Somebody's going to starve to death. Because there was no grocery store. You rolled down the road and just go buy some groceries until until next year. Your groceries were in the field. And if they didn't come in, wasn't nobody going to make it. Which meant there was no sitting around all spring and summer. Not doing anything. Because if you didn't do anything, there wasn't going to be anything coming up in the summer. And there wasn't going to be anything to harvest in the fall. There wasn't going to be anything to put in the storehouse to get you to the winter. It must be why there's a scripture that says the summer's ended. And the harvest is past. And we are not saved. You can look out at it and it'd be a barren field and realize I'm never going to make it to, to see another spring. Because I sat back and I did not prepare for the winter that's coming. I've come to tell somebody now is not the time to be lukewarm. Now is not the time to be cold. Now is not the time to sit back and say, hey, the Lord's coming. I don't have to worry about it for much longer. I believe the Lord's coming soon too. But if you don't come for a hundred years, we've got to live and we've got to have a generation that's going to live and stand up so that when he does come, he finds faith on the earth. Comfort and leisure and peace rarely seems to yield preparedness. I've heard it's been it's been said. I've heard this from the ministers over the past year or so that the political climate we had for a while in this nation was God giving us a space of time, a space of peace. So I understand that bad things still happen, but but there was a period of time where it sure didn't seem it was all that bad. It seemed like the government was on our side instead of against us. We saw court cases going the way we prefer them to go. We saw conservative justices being appointed to courts, and we're all, praise God, God is moving. We saw our nation form a stronger relationship with Israel than they probably had in 75 years. 
We began to see prophecy unfold. We began to see things that we felt like were good that were taking place. I didn't come to preach politics because you get in trouble every time doing that. But I have come to tell you this. Where are we at and regardless of how good or bad it may be now, where are we going to be tomorrow? And where are we going to be next month? And where are we going to be next year? I don't know that you've got to be a prophet for most of y'all to agree with me this morning that it sure don't look like things are getting better. I didn't come to discourage you. And I didn't come to make you down. I didn't come to make you be all down and out because everything is doom and gloom around you. I've come to remind you that we need to refocus on where our strength comes from. We need to make sure that we double down on the right things. If you're not ready to meet God, you've got to get ready to meet God today. And it's not just so that you'll be saved, but it's so that your children and your children's children and your friends and your family, that they'll be saved too. Psalm 144, 1 says, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight, my goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield, and he whom I trust, who subdueth my people unto me. I understand David was a warrior, but he wasn't given glory to the power of his might, and he wasn't given glory to the accuracy of his bow, he was saying, I've come to tell you that it's God that enables me to fight. It's God that causes me to stand up. It's God that gives me victory over my enemies. And I've come to tell this church the same thing. we got to get God in our home, God in our life, God in our church, because God is the only thing that's going to carry you Nothing else will work. I don't care what job you've got. You'll be gone tomorrow. To my wife just the other day, we had the parsonage tore down this week. I said, it's an interesting thing that a house can stand, a building can stand in some place for 75 years, and in 24 hours, it's not there anymore. Well, I know that's a simple illustration, but most of us in this place have lived long enough to see enough of this stuff happen. We know how it works. Amen. You can be fit as a fiddle today and on your deathbed tomorrow. You can have a house full of children today and that house be empty tomorrow. You can have a job that's going to plot out a nice comfortable retirement for you today and tomorrow get handed the pink slip. I've already told you, I didn't come to preach doom and gloom to you, but I have come to tell you that my hope is in the Lord and so is yours. And it is my time. It's not time to stop praying. It's not time to stop fasting. It's not time to stop being late for church and missing a Sunday or two out of the month. It's time to say, hey, preacher, can we have some more church? Can we have another prayer meeting? I've got children that are going to be saved. I've got co-workers that are their way to hell. And the Lord's coming. I want to reach them. Now let me show you how it's supposed to work. Music comes. Second Chronicles chapter 14. Hezekiah would have had this example because these men came before him. 
14 and 1, so Elijah slept with his fathers. They buried him in the city of David, and Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet. Ten years. No fighting. No enemies showed up. Nobody had come to pillage and plunder what they had. Everything was quiet for ten years. Asa did that which was good and right. In the eyes of the Lord his God. What did he do in those ten years? Where he took away the altars of the strange gods. The high places. Break down the images and cut down the groves. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers. And to do the law and the commandment. Also he took away out all the cities of Judah. The high places and the images. And the kingdom was quiet before him. So I've got a little bit of a concern. Pretty much everybody's kind of been up in arms for the past year and a half because COVID hit. You've had to deal with junk you've never had to deal with. Everybody's frustrated and fed up with it. But you know what I'm more worried about? I'm more worried about when it's over. More worried about that thing disappears, never comes back. Nobody's afraid of getting sick anymore. The word social distancing just go in the dictionary for somebody 25 years from now to wonder what in the world does that mean. I'm more worried about when it's all over. For those that are not ready, for the enemy they never saw coming. Hezekiah relaxed because God promised him victory over Assyria. But he acted foolishly and played with Babylon. And Babylon was the one that would come and take them all out. Who knows what the next battle will be? Who knows what the next fight will be for the church? I should only be costly. What did Asa do? He says he built fifth cities in Judah. The land had rest, and he had no more in those years because the Lord had given him rest. You want to know what? I'm willing to bet there were some folks who thought he was a fool. All right, boys, it's time to build some fortresses. Fortresses. There's nobody coming. No, nobody's attacked in, in nine and a half years, Keith. Why? I have more church and everything's alright. I'll preach to me about being faithful to the house of God with all that sick stuff don't have to keep me out anymore. Therefore, he said to Judah, let us build these cities. Make about the walls and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he hath given us rest on every side. So we built the prosper. And Asa had an army of men that bear targets and spears out of Judah, 300,000 and out of Benjamin that bear shields and true bows, two hundred and fourscore thousand. All these 
now. <laughs> How do you make my little valor in a peace? When you go to the instruction book and you say, Lord, teach my hands to Teach my hands to fight. There may be peace in my house today, but I don't know what tomorrow holds. The bank account might be filled today, but I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I know everything's alright today. Everything in my family's all buttoned up today, but I don't know what's going to be tomorrow. The Bible says Job would sacrifice every day in case his children sin. We've got to be ready. I'm ready for the Lord to come. But if you don't come back for a hundred years, we've got to be prepared. No matter what hell sins against the church, the church is ready for it. And it'll never happen sitting idly back on the pew. It'll never happen strolling in when it's convenient. It'll never happen just assuming the worst will never come. Somebody needs to come to the altar. These altars are open. Somebody in the house is ready to meet God. You don't need to leave that way. Somebody in the house has grown cold and put everything that doesn't even try in their walk with God. You don't need to leave that way today because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. And I promise tomorrow, don't walk out the doors of this place lost. Don't walk out of the first place backslid. Don't walk out of the house of God. I'm ready. 